What's up, everybody? It's your boy, Dr. Devin Walker, and I'm here with Javier Wallace, and we are Black with Blue Passports. This podcast explores the impact that international travel has on Black Americans' pursuit of liberty and racial justice. This podcast is sponsored by DDCE Global at the University of Texas at Austin, with support from the World Walker Foundation and Black Austin Tours. All right, and welcome back to another episode of Black with Blue Passports. We are excited to have our guest with us here today, Evita Turquoise Robinson. So Evita, I'm gonna just go ahead and read off a little bit of your bio, is that cool? That's fine. I ain't gonna read this whole thing though, because you, you got a lot of stuff on here. It's Whoa. so interesting to see the things that people like take out of it. I kind of just like listen back and let people run with it. I'm like, okay, that was important. <laughs> you got a lot of stuff, but hopefully we, you know, we'll tap in throughout the podcast and, and you'll let us know what's most important. Um, but ultimately, Avita created the No Madness Travel Tribe, an online social community, primarily for travelers of color. No Madness was the first of its kind getting targeted Black and Brown millennials in the newly coined Black travel movement. The group currently has over 25,000 international members with over 30 regional ambassadors. You got a TED Talk that's popping. Uh, you're well known in the space. Uh, you've been highly regarded, one of the most recognized you know, Black travelers, especially within the millennial space. So welcome. Thanks for being here. And how are you feeling in this very moment, Avita? Thank you. Um, I'm good. I'm good. We're in the middle of this accelerator. So there's like deadlines and growth. It's like the growing pains that come with like business and community right now. But it's it's a necessary and good spot. Okay. So where are you trying to grow? What, what, what's up? What, what's the ne next for your business? Well, I can't get into all of it. Um, <laughs> maybe even most of it, actually. But we're essentially we're a part of this Facebook accelerator. So they have a community accelerator that they started a couple years ago, where for eight months, <laughs> for eight months you're in an accelerator program and you're doing weekly curriculum and you know these workshops that are all about building out sustainability and activation for your communities. So for us, you know, sustainability looks like the back end, the team, right? What does growth look like? There's funding that's included with the accelerator, which is always great um, to help be able to build out these back end initiatives. But then with activations, it looks like for us, we're we're putting our focus on our festival. You know, we've done Audacity Fest for the last uh, four years. Uh, we've had two in person. We were supposed to be in New York in person in 2020, but then COVID hit. So we actually did not one, not two two, but five digital Ooh. iterations of Audacity Fest uh, last year from May 2020 to May 2021. And it was one of the things that helped us kind of, you know, stay afloat because the travel industry was, you know, trampled with what happened with COVID. So right. it's been amazing, but the accelerator is great. I have an appointed coach, business coach, who's been phenomenal. He's, he's a, um, he empathetically, snatches my wig and rips me open every week <laughs> and so it's like you face all of the things all the things coming all the things of the past to just like you know make sure that we are in a healthy space before our demo day which we have and which we're pitching for further funding at the the um the end of march early april of next year okay worse so you got a lot going on yes we do we do i, I kind of i want to hop in right there because i think um, Evita, congratulations on being a part of the Facebook Accelerate. I mean, that's amazing. Thank you. And I'm somebody, like I was telling Devin, who has been familiar with your work, No Madness. I mean, I didn't even need to like Google when. I was just thinking in my mind when I was connected, which is near a decade or more than a decade ago at this time. Yeah. So I'm kind of wondering if you can talk about like, how do you go from where you were 10 years ago or before to where you are now thinking about these large-scale festivals connecting people around the globe black people specifically um from where from from where you came from i mean because i want people to understand especially we have a lot of young people listening that are interested in traveling is like how do they do this is this something that happens overnight do you, or what is the process kind of like and how did you navigate that right um huh 
10. So Nomad has turned 10 years old in September of this past year. So September, 2021. Congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate that. And, and it's interesting, right? And this is one of the reasons why I like the accelerator program is because if you were to just go into a business accelerator, it's like, okay, are you an events business? Are you based around a product? It's very streamlined with just the business and the consumer. But the fact that Facebook curated their own in which the community comes first is something that is actually very, very unique in the business sector. Because here's the thing, when I started No Madness 10 years ago, I didn't know I was creating this like worldwide movement. I was somebody who was a backpacker. I was a solo traveler. I'd say I have this like bridge between pretty and gritty, you know, like I want to look cute, but then I'll also like be out there. I've slept on airport floors and stayed in hostels and done what's needed to be done, you know, um, and there, and that's a big part of like who I am. I love dropping myself in places and kind of figuring it out. I'm not scared of that. And so I think for me 10 years ago to now, it's um, I didn't know what I was creating in September 2011. I had no idea. I didn't go into it with a business brain. I'm a liberal arts. You know, I went to school for television and video production and fine art. So I wasn't this like business brain. I've learned everything I know about business and I'm still learning about business through experience and through the expertise of people who have been, I feel like gifted into my life. And so I think also with building out a team and having a dynamic team, which is so important, it's literally critical. Um, all of that plays into the growth and what happens. And I didn't, I didn't go into it. Most people, it's like, they have this business plan and all these ideas. Like I didn't have none of that shit. So it was kind of like, I, I was going with my gut. I was somebody who was dealing with reverse culture shock. I was somebody who had lived abroad for the first time and came home at that time I was living in the Bronx. And it's like, you know, I had a family that didn't quite understand what this travel bug was and why it was so important and why it became a necessity in my life. And so I had to find community. I had to find my tribe. And for me, the answer to that wasn't seeking it out elsewhere. It was actually building it from scratch. Wow. So we started with a hundred people. You know, I literally remember where I was the day that I started No Madness Tribe. And so I had no idea. I didn't know I was starting a business. I didn't know I was starting this big movement. I didn't know that I was going to be holding the entire travel industry in the States accountable for their like, you know, DEI and diversity initiatives. I didn't know that any of these things were coming. And, and I'm kind of glad that I didn't because the shit is scary. You know, like if you could really look at the trajectory of where you're going at the onset. I think sometimes we fool ourselves. It may sound like a really cool superpower to have to me. Like I know how big I think I'd scare the shit out of myself and be like, and be like, uh, maybe, maybe I'm going to go down this road, you know? So for me, it's just, you know, I think everything is unraveled the way that it was the way that it's supposed to. And our growth has really been from the community, you know, paying attention to what the community needs, listening to their wants, surveying them, um, giving them the floor for better or worse, because tribe is amazing, but they can also be a pain in the butt. Um, but it's it's just it's it's an awesome community and one that I'm very privileged to show up for when things are great and when things are awful, you know, and these people would do the same things for me. So at the beginning and at the end, everything comes back to the community for me. All right, all right. So let, let, let's go back a little bit. You said you are a, a backpacker, self-identified backpacker. Mm -hmm. And that's dope. You know, that's how I kind of fell in love with traveling, backpacking. And, um, you know, earlier this week, actually on Tuesday, I was in Dallas. I was doing this recruitment event for the University of Texas. And I was talking to some young Black women. Shout out to y'all. I know y'all said y'all gonna listen to the podcast. And, you know, they're really interested in my stories and traveling. But of course, you know, there's this gender dynamic there. And they're like, you know, what does that look like for me as a young black woman? Like, how do I even start? Like, how do you even get to the place where you're actually backpacking by yourself? So what did that look like for you? How did you actually get to a point where you're like, all right, I'm doing these solo backpacking trips. I'm out here as a black woman, not afraid, just going for it. 
Yeah. I, I mean, part of it is just the way my personality is set up, the way my, my Aries is set up <laughs> is I'm definitely not scared of risk and adventure. I don't like being bored, you know, so things like that. I think the curious child in me, I was just always a very curious child and that stayed with me my whole life. I think my curiosities morphed into my need for travel, you know, the curiosity of people, of their stories, of culture. That's something that is a very big and ever present driving force in my life. So I think for me, one of the things that I say to people period, but you know, definitely women can take this is I say, put the fear in your back pocket long enough to just get on the plane. Mm. Because once you're on the plane, one, there's no turning back. And you would also be surprised at how like the psyche, your general aura kind of rises to the occasions that are necessary um, to get through whatever it is. You know, a lot of people, and I have this too, like anticipatory anxiety leads to like analysis paralysis. I'm going to think this thing to death to the point where I don't have to do it. Like I'm going to think myself out of it or think myself literally until I'm paralyzed and nothing happens. And I just think we, we allow fears to, to take us on in that way. And I think one of the things that's so beautiful and so necessary about communities like Nomadness and others is that we, even if you're traveling alone, you're not, there's always people around. Yeah. Like our membership- yeah. Like, you know, even when I was listening to the bio, like, you know, you said 25,000 and I'm just like, wow, like we need to update that. Cause we're about to hit 28,000 members and growing and have this like really dope growth initiative for the top of 2022. And so I'm excited to see what comes in the first quarter of next year and those numbers and how many more people that we end up reaching. But I, uh, you know, I, there, there's just something really, really potent, to just getting out there and just doing it, you know, and understanding that a community has your back no matter what happens. And I think more so than any other community to be, and I say that without ego, literally as fact, I've seen it play out. No madness. If we do nothing else, we take care of our people. And so you will know that no matter where you are and whatever goes down, that if you need help from I'm stranded to you know, I'm in this place who wants to go get drinks tonight that we have people that are more than likely there that can help you out. So, but what, what was that trip for you? Take me back, walk me through that one of your early trips where it made you feel like, yo, this is it. This is what I want to spend my life doing. Hmm. One of my early trips, I don't know. I feel like no madness is such an anomaly in my life. Like it, it, it's like this thing. I talk about no madness because it is, I, I see it as like this orb that lives outside of me. It's a living, breathing thing. It's a community, but it's also its own life force and its own energy field. And so when I, when I think of no madness, it's like this thing that came into my life and just changed it all. Uh, you know, like literally changed it all. I was like, I just want my TV show, which I'm still going for now, you know, but I come from this media background and wanted to be on camera and host things and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden travel came into my life. And then this community came shortly thereafter. And it just, it completely shifted the trajectory, but it's funny because 10 years later, looking at it now, it, you know, nod to Steve jobs. You can only connect the dots looking backwards, right? Not forwards it's all starting to make sense now. Um, and so that's really, that's really dope. But I mean, I think the earliest trips maybe was like me going to Paris right after college. I graduated from Iona college in 2006. And instead of going, you know, into a, you know, fortune 500 company that everybody else was fighting for, you know, we graduated on a Saturday and people started work on Monday. I was literally the uh, commencement speaker of my graduating class. And I remember being at Madison square garden <laughs> up on stage. And like one of the one-liners that I had was there were two that I really love. One of them was, you know, I'm really like over people asking what you're going to do now that you enter the real world, as if everything that you've done up until this point is fake. <laughs> and everybody was like, word, I feel you. And I'm like, come on, like the, just the terminology people use when you're graduating is bizarre. And then the other thing was, you know, I've been in school since kindergarten. I feel like I deserve a break. 
and to go find out who I am. I'm the only person I know of in my graduating class that instead of looking for a job, I decided to travel right after graduation. And I mean that quite literally right after. So we graduated and six weeks later, I moved to Paris um, with my best friend from high school and was like in this small flat, sharing a bed, sharing everything and um, doing, doing filmmaking workshops with the New York Film Academy. And that's what I decided to do after school instead of going to get a job. And so I, I needed to find myself and I think what Paris and a nice weekend trip to Amsterdam afforded me at that time was just freedom. Uh, but it also afforded me this like worldly perspective that came along with being in Western Europe, falling in love with a city like Paris, which is just so romantic and romanticized in and of itself, going to Amsterdam and just being like, whoa, like this is crazy. This stuff would never fly in the States. And just like just understanding what life looked like outside of the States were very raw when we graduate. Like we're just, we're very raw. We're emotionally sensitive. <laughs> we're scared. We don't know what the next steps are going to be. I feel like right after undergrad is one of the rawest states I've ever been in. And, and when you're that raw and that open to the world and you travel instead of encapsulating yourself in a cubicle, in a job, a lot of really dope things can happen with that. And I think that's what happened in my case. Yeah, certainly, certainly. I'm gonna pass it over to you next time, but I just wanna follow up with that. Like, you know, we do a lot of work with college students. You know, that's pretty much my role at university is, you know, I take college students abroad um, and they're so young, their identities are so malleable, right? Like they're learning, they're exploring the world, but ultimately they're exploring themselves. Um, and I find it so beneficial to see them when they come back to the university, they come back to the States and they just have this like heightened sense of self, this confidence, this ability to figure it out. And then there's just desire to continue to explore yeah. um, and, and just see what else is out there, whether that be literally like going out into the world or literally seeing what else is out there in your own city, you know, taking walks in the areas of the community that you've never been in. Um, yeah. So I agree. I think that, States, that, that age is so imperfect of an age for folks to really get their travel on. It is. And and the state sucks at promoting gap years, like awful at it. And it's something that is extremely prevalent, like almost everyday conversation, especially when you start going to places like Western Europe. And so what I found, cause I was there, you gotta remember, I was there with the New York Film Academy. So I was in a filmmaking workshop and they had an acting workshop. So there were a hundred students there studying at La Famise Film School at the same time. And they were from all around the world. Still, these are friends that I have still to this day, some of my best friends I met in this workshop. And what I realized when I was there, I realized a couple things. I realized that like the education system and the healthcare system in the States is a joke. And then I also realized that this whole idea of gap year is something that is literally embedded into their culture. Because when you think about, especially Western Europe, right? Like their equivalent, our equivalent of states are their equivalent of countries. So you have this mass population of people that know at least two languages, at very least two languages, because they're so close to one of the countries are so close to one another. And it's, it's just a part of their education system. It's embedded in a way that um, it's not with ours. And I think we're so far on this side of the world even if we have mandated language classes, we don't really take them as seriously as we should um, because it's like, well, when am I going to use this outside of like maybe Spanish because that's becoming like, you know, the second predominantly used language, spoken language in the States. So it's like our whole thought process and the way that like the systems here are set up is very different. Um, and, And gap years are embedded in that because they can drive three hours. You know, if I'm in Jersey and I drive four hours away and I'm in DC, you do that in Paris. And it's like, you know, you're in Amsterdam. If you take a train two and a half hours or you're in Germany or you're in Spain, it's an entirely different lifestyle. And so I, I love that. And I was also shocked to find out that a lot of times the gap years taken in Western Europe, not after college, but after high school, yeah, exactly. They'll do exactly. it much younger. It's part of also. the culture, you know. It's like American yeah. culture. 
the myth of America and, you know, the exceptionalism that we have and everybody wants to come here and we're the greatest and we're the best. It's like young people, why would you even think about going anywhere else? You're in the greatest place ever. And like, yeah, I think young nah. people are beat in the head with that through the yeah. education system, especially here in Texas. You know, folks here in Texas, shit, they don't, they don't believe in Texas. Which is know? also crazy to me because y'all are so damn close to Mexico. It's yeah. like, there's so many, <laughs> it's just, but, but, it's, but you can no, tell no, again, hold on, it's a problem. Oh, Javier got something to say, Mr. Texas. Texas. Y'all, y'all not going to sit up here and do all that. Y'all not going to sit up here and do all that. Y'all talk about California. They got a Mexican border too. Yeah, no, I, you're I, and right. I was down there. Yep, I would, you're I would be in right. Tijuana, Rosarita, Rosarito. Yep. I would be in Sonata. I'll be down there as a kid. Yeah. So I mean, you know, but California, right. the culture, because it is a lot more diverse and mixed. There's, a, I think, there's an appreciation of difference mm-hmm. in it in a very different way than Texas. But go, go ahead, Javi. What you got? I mean, man? see, y'all gonna take me. Y'all gonna take me somewhere uh, with this. <laughs> And I'm already about to go there right now. Thinking about borders and travel, and you know, I'm, I'm here thinking about the community that you created in Vita with No Madness. And I'm this is somebody who was born and raised in the states to a Panamanian father and a, an African American mother. I made the decision to move to Panama, and I do end up creating a business while in Panama. I feel like the next travel, which we still do to this day, and I know the majority at the beginning the majority, if not the first people that come to Panama and, and patronize our business are people from no madness. Um, I appreciate you saying that. Those are the things, I don't mean to cut you off, I'm sorry, but those, those, this is the thing, I can't be in all places at all times, right? And it's kind of like when you are an entrepreneur and you build out a community, you you're in it so much every day with all of the things that you're doing, the events and the logistics and the business behind it and the community, it's a lot. And you don't really understand the vastness of your impact. And to me, one of the biggest and one of my most favorite and coveted pieces of impact that the nomadness community has is that we keep and establish businesses for people of color abroad. That is the story of so many businesses that we have and people that are a part of Nomadness. And I'm telling you, like, it just, it warms my heart so much because I know how hard it is. I know how hard it is. And if I've been able to create a community that helps keep somebody's lights on at some point in time and helps keep somebody's business running at some point in time, listen, like that means everything to me. So thank you for sharing that. Yeah, most definitely. And I think, you know, where I was going with that, I think the strength in what No Madness brought to our business was was particularly Black travelers from the United States that were interested in having, engaging and learning about a Black Panamanian experience in the good ways that, that have Black people have been treated in the, in the horrible ways that, that Black people have been treated in the isthmus and making those broader connections. And, you know, I as our businesses grew and grows, you know, I, we didn't see a shift in our demographic of people coming to our business until 2020. But before 2020, we were, I still, before 2020, most of the work that I was doing in these spaces were Black travelers from the United States, particularly African-American or Black North Americans. But after 2020 and this new light is focused on Black people, you know, my demographic numbers have, have shifted. But I also want, I, I'm saying that because I often think that, and, and, I'm, and this is a question I'm gonna pose to you, is how do we, as black people from the United States, when we create diaspora and are, are help facilitate diaspora making, which I think no madness does, um, just for the simple example that I gave with myself, um, in our mobility to be able to engage with the world in the way that we're due in this black travel movement in ways that many of our ancestors connected to the United States were never able to do and become as mobile as we are. But then we also know, because we talk about borders, the US-Mexico border, and we've seen things that have happened recently with black people who are trying to come into the United States or in the European context, right? The, the amount of African migrants who are seeking spaces into Europe, and I'm always concerned about us 
because the, the name of this program is Black with Blue Passports because we want to be very intentional about thinking about what does it mean to be a Black person from the United States being able to be mobile and be a part of this diaspora that's not as mobile as, as we are. So I was just wondering, like, what do you think our responsibilities are as Black people who can be mobile um, and go to different parts of the world amidst a diaspora that is not as mobile as we are when thinking about creating community and maintaining community and elevating some of the issues that impact us? I think it's about being a conscious traveler. And I think when some people hear conscious travel, they think of just like volunteerism and things like that. And it's like, no, like being a conscious traveler starts with whose land is this? Simply asking that question, right? Whose land is this? Is there a way to pay homage to whose land this is? Especially if there's a direct connection to the diaspora and just black folks, right? Um, I think that that's a baseline. And when it comes to creating trips, events, experiences, there is something very intentional about that because most people don't even start there, <laughs> like, you know? So I think that that's one piece of it. The other piece of it, and this comes from like some data. One of the things that we did during COVID was we got into the world of data and we have this like 89 page quantitative and qualitative report on the BIPOC diversity and travel consensus. And so some of the numbers that are just like, you know, huge are that like, you know, 93%, over 90% of us have to see ourselves reflected either like is either seen as very important or extremely important to see ourselves reflected in market and marketing, right? Whether it's a tour brand operations, whatever it is, a hotel lodging, we need to see ourselves. And we know that with Nomadness because Nomadness also curates group trips. If I don't see somebody that's reflected um, somebody that looks like our community that's in there, we're not rocking with it. And we will find black people everywhere because we are everywhere. You know, one of the examples that I give is like, not to go back to Amsterdam, but we have a Nomadness tribe member, uh, uh, Jennifer Tosh. She runs the black heritage tours, both walking and canal tours in Amsterdam. When you go to Amsterdam, you don't think about the fact that there's like Moore's history and black history and connection to the Atlantic slave trade. And there are statues and things that are hanging on people's homes, affluent homes in Amsterdam that are direct co correlations to like our slave history, right? And so your mind can be blown. When I think about the work that you're doing in Panama, when I think about Alex Rocha and Tribe, who has like the whole Afro-Colombian experience in Cartagena that everybody's going after. When I think of Becky Dube based out of Johannesburg, Cape Town and Durban, South Africa, with Curiosity Africa, being able to get an influx, influx of black American travelers coming in and being able to tell the stories of not just these local places, Places, but also how it correlates to the larger diaspora, specifically to, um, to the Black American experience, because we're out there in these streets, right? It is something that we actively look for, and we need to keep the money. I tell people all the time, I treat no madness like the mafia. If I can keep the money in the family, the money is staying in the family. When we research places to go, one of the first things that we do is we utilize the community that we built and the 10 years of archives. You know, if we want to come to Panama, you know, and be in Panama City, because we've done Bocas del Toro a couple of times, but like, if we want to come to Panama City and create something like Javier, you're going to be the person that we reach out to. You know, I don't need to go through all these loops and chans and TripAdvisor and all that stuff. Listen, who's dope and black in the area? this is where we start. <laughs> like, that's it. It's really that simple. And so I think being a consumer of our community, keeping the money circulating, even on an international level in the community, and also paying homage to the community is really where I would say our responsibility lies. It's definitely where, you know, no madness feels our responsibility lies um, when we go out and create these experiences. Now we can even take it a step further. So, and I'm sorry if you hear anything back, I'm down in Newark and of course they're blocking off my road right now to do construction, but, <laughs> but, um, but we have, we have like, you know, audacity fest. So 
Audacity Fest is essentially the BIPOC. For those who don't know what BIPOC is, it stands for Black Indigenous People of Color. So it's an extension. That is our olive branch and our extension, um, extended arm to other marginalized groups in the travel industry and in the world. So what does that look like, right? What we did during Audacity Digi over the last year was we have a traveling like me section to our programming in which we hand the stage and the mic over to other marginalized groups of color and other marginalized groups to talk about, to tell their stories, to talk about their resources, their influencers, what drives them to get the industry to wake up. Right. And so we had panels with Muslim travelers. We had Asian allies. We even had white allies. We gave them the mic to see what the hell was going on and their side of things. You know, we had um, we had indigenous travelers. We even did Nomad Juniors where we got teenagers, high schoolers who have traveled around the world to come in and talk about what they've learned and what they want us to know as their later generations. So we're also very much known um, to hand the mic over. We had a Latinx panel to everybody else. We're like the Rainbow Coalition when it comes to Audacity Festival. And I think that's important too, because as the Black travel movement and nomadness as a part of that, has grown, we also have a responsibility to be like, okay, cool. As we grow, we need to help our brothers and sisters over here who still ain't getting no love, who y'all still ain't paying attention to. And this is like the influence and the dollar signs that they're bringing into the industry. So like, where are they at also, you know? And so those are the two ways that I would say that we really go about it when it comes to like the responsibility we take on. No, that's real. And, and that's lovely there. Um, I know we're, we're we're coming up on time, Devin. I don't know if you have another question. I, I have a hard question. Uh, Let's get a hard one, man. Let's get a hard one. Go for it. I don't know if it's super hard, but um, I curate travel as well. I'm a black man, um, a big black man at that. But when I go down my my statistics or my demographic sheets on who who engages with with me the most. It's all women. It is black women. It yeah, all it's women. all women. So in all the things I've done with most members from No Madness, it's the same. Um, yeah. Black women, like large. We're 78%. We're almost 28,000 members and we're 78% black women. Okay. So I'm glad you said that I didn't have to. So now the next question is what, 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 what are your takes on black males, black males traveling or not traveling and, and why do you think that representation is the way that it is and no madness is 78 percent women and and i'm not saying we should be it should be 50 50 or majority i just that's something that i always notice and like i rarely have men approaching me about these type of experience and we and we find that to be similar on the yeah. college level too with study abroad in yeah. opportunities in general so i was just wondering like what are your thoughts on that and how have you done that in the travel space so this conversation comes up, I want to say at least every, at least once a year, if not twice a year in Tribe since we've started, right? And we have some of the guys chime in here. I would like to put a disclaimer out there. I'm not talking for the fellows on behalf of this. Y'all know I can only disseminate information on behalf of what I observe and may think, and also what's been, you know, talked about in, in the Tribe when this has popped up. So one of the things that has come up is I think women are approaching their life different. When you start looking at like, we're looking at gender, but let's also start looking at like dem like age demographic and generation. When you start talking about millennials specifically, some Gen Xers, but I really do think millennials, we started this trend. This whole idea of work, 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 and then go live your life the last like 20 years that you're on this planet and go travel when you're old and can't even get around efficiently. We are the ones who really kind of like blew that whole concept up and was like, actually, no, we're going to start living now and gather these experiences before we start having children, getting married, all these things. Like we get married later, we're having babies, especially the women we're having babies later. So you're seeing an entire generational shift within women in which we are living out our lives at an earlier, at an earlier age. And for, I think a more extended period of time before we get pregnant and our bodies literally change, 
we have made the decision and made a priority to go out into the world and be able to get this worldly experience, this knowledge, this education, so that we can now foster and create families in which the idea of travel is not some forlorn thing only for rich white people. It is something that is accessible to all of us. And so I think our, our thought process of being millennials, but then you mix that with women, is is a big factor in why we are excessive. We're also way more entrepreneurial right now. So if you look at it, if you look at like a number of like the top, we were just talking about Kina. Like if you look at some of the top um, movers and shakers as far as communities are concerned when it comes to black travel, all the CEOs are women. Not only that, a lot of them started in nomadness. If you think about it, it's real. Like literally you can draw a fucking Venn diagram. So like it's, it's so interesting to see that, but I think we're more entrepreneurial. We're living life earlier. We're not waiting now again, not speaking for the fellas. And I'm totally down to have this discourse. Some of the things that have come up in regards to like the response to men is one men travel for different things, you know, different experiences. They may not want to be with the women. Solo tip. Yeah. Well, solo or you're waiting for your boys. And it's kind of like whatever the guys are doing on that trip is what the guys are doing. And they don't need the women to be in their ear about whatever. You know what I'm saying? Also, when it comes to group trips, if you have so many women and there's just a couple men, there's also this like sometimes it's spoken, but an unspoken pressure that they go from like being on vacation to feeling like they have to take care of these women in this space now, especially if something pops off. Right. And so I'm very adamant that when we have, and I see you smiling, so I know I'm right. But like, <laughs> so we, you know, for nomadness trips, you know, whenever we have men that are on it, I kind of have a conversation with them too. And I try to be adamant about like, yo, I, I, I feel you as a brother who is altruistic and protecting that this is your nature, but I want you to understand there's a difference between your nature and your responsibility. You are not responsible to these people, right? So also enjoy yourself, you know? So I think that there's, there's the motivations, there's the makeup of the groups um, that go on the trips as well. I also think that you all have a societal pressure to be the providers, you know, from jump. I just think you all are focused on different things. You know, you're focused on getting the money right, having the house or whatever those goals are. And until those are together, like travel just may not be on the radar in that capacity because you're trying to get other things right. And I think as black men, you also have the hurdle of society already like looking at you like you ain't shit. And so it's like now, there's just this like emphasis on top of emphasis of no, I'm about to break all these stereotypes, get myself to this place. And like, I'm sorry, but travel ain't the priority right now, you know? So I think it's, I think it's a mix of all of that stuff, but that's what I've been, what I've observed and also what some of the fellas in tribe have actually like said. Yeah. Um, Thank you for that. It was, it's just something that's always on my mind and I know we're coming close. I'm gonna throw it back to Devin. And let you close that thing. Yeah, I got I got one little question. It, it could be a quick one, but you know, you're so accomplished, you've done so much. And and even in this conversation, I'm learning a lot, you know what I'm saying? And just about how your influence the extension, like a you know, like an olive branch, like a tree. But what we often don't hear is when people fail, right? So can you share with us like one of your biggest failures and how you picked yourself back up from that? Hmm, one of my biggest failures. I don't know. This is a tricky one for me just because I don't really look at most things as failures. I I look at them as lessons. Um, I look at them at, as opportunities. Uh, what is the, it was a JFK quote that I used to say all the time. It's like in Chinese something, um, the, the character for Oh, I got to find it. I got to find it. But essentially it's like uh, crisis means opportunity. Right. Um, and in one of the Asian languages, there's an actual character that when you write out the word crisis is literally bridged with opportunity. And so there are, I mean, there's been trips that haven't gone the way that they were intended to, 
I had one completely fall apart in Bali that I've actually spoken about. I went into detail in it um, on this kind of like little series that I did on my Instagram last year, but just dealing with um, racial issues on the back end that led to like the place that we had, like them not cleaning the pool, them not taking in people's towels and changing them out to it getting to the point where it was unbearable. And we had a number of people actually leave the premises and go find lodging somewhere else. And so to put so much work into something and to also have it unravel for something that wasn't of your control. Um, and then to find out on top of it, that it was like racially motivated when we showed up and they saw that there was like a compound being taken over by 25 black people was just like, you've got to be kidding me. And so I think there's just a number of instances and times where you, as a leader, you need to know what type of leader you are. You need to know if you're somebody who's going to stay behind the scenes, or if you are somebody who's going to jump in the front um, and, and rise to the occasion when stuff hits the fan, right? You got to show up when it's pretty and when it's shitty, you can't, you like, you can't just pick and choose. Cause there's gotta be a sense of reliability, you know, and Javier us talking, you know, I don't get into it much and I'm not going to get into super details here, but there was like a really unfortunate and horrific accident that happened to a number of my members in, um, out about 45 minutes outside of Panama city in 2015. And even though it wasn't on an official nomadness trip, these are my people. Like I wasn't going to sit at home and watch the most tragic thing ever happened to my community unravel on my computer screen. Like ain't no way that is not how I lead within 24 hours. You know, I was on a plane with two of the members of my community to, of my, my leadership team to get down there on the ground, to find out where people were, what happened. My community had crowdfunded about $64,000 in four days just to get people's like medical bills paid, to get people out of hospitals, to get family members down, like hundreds of thousands of flight miles were donated to get family members in. Like, it's just, I've, I've seen, I've seen what happens when community comes together in its best. And so I I can't, I mean, it was just tragedy. I can't say that it was a failure. I just think that there are these really, really tough times that happen when you're dealing with people and life and they collide and, and it's gruesome. And you need to figure out if you're the type of person who's going to show up and rise to the occasion, even as you're crumbling and shattering inside to be there for these people, or are you just going to be the one that kind of sits back? Cause you just put this community together. Cause you are trying to make a couple dollars, you know what I'm saying? Which look, I ain't even mad at you, but you need to know who you are going into it. And you need to let the community know who you are and what you're in for at the onset so that they know who to go to if stuff does inevitably like hit the fan. So, I mean, I think those are just like some of them, but yeah, I don't really, I don't really necessarily subscribe to the idea of failure the way that I think yeah. most people do. And neither do I. And I think that's exactly why I asked you that question. You know, again, I think Javier and I, since we work at institutions, you know, we have a lot of young people who fear failure, you know, who who see it as the end, right? Not as a new beginning, not as a new opportunity. Or um, a part of like, the journey. It's yeah, literally it just a part of the journey, you know, for every no, there'll be a yes. You have to go through the ebb and flow. I put this up on my Instagram a couple months ago and I swear it's been like almost weekly. I'm like, I'm about to repost this over again and share it on my stories. I put something on Twitter that was along the lines of, you know, I realized that the older I get, Life is literally just a constant series of peaks and valleys that happen simultaneously. And the key is to just learn how to ride the wave and not let the lows get you too low and don't let the highs get you too high. Like you got to just understand that it's constant. I have had literally the best news ever. And literally an hour later (laughs) here, some of the worst news ever. And, and you will feel like you're schizophrenic, you know what I'm saying? But literally the key is to not let the lows get you too low. You know what I'm saying? So that it overshadows the highs. It's literally life. When you just kind of surrender, I think to the wave, I call it a wave. When you surrender to the wave and stop trying to fight it, 
that is when you start to find like your alignment and, and your peace in it, because here's the deal. It's always going to be like that. There's always going to be ups and downs. They literally come in succession. Sometimes they come together and it's like, what is this? sorcery but like you gotta know who you are are to navigate it i since you brought that up i gotta i gotta drop this quick story real quick so i used to work at this education foundation called posse and i loved it my last day i decided i was gonna quit and i was gonna move to korea to teach english right so i've been you know excited my last day on the job i'm going to have a little party at the beach i'm two weeks later i'm supposed to be in korea I'm at the beach and I'm getting these calls from my mom and it just doesn't feel right. Like something doesn't feel right. And she's like, look, you know, I haven't talked to your dad in a minute. Have you talked to him? And she calls him back like, yo, I'm about to go to his house. So I'm like, man. And um, I was with this dude, like this 14 year old kid, my boss's son, you know, it's just me and him at the beach. We're waiting for some more people to come. So I'm like, yo, man, we got to go. Picked up on the way to my, my dad's house. I get the call like, yo, he's passed. And it was, you know, a day of such celebration earlier. Like, you know, it was my first professional job. I completed my three-year tenure there. And now I'm on a way, you know, on the way to this new journey, going to teach Korea. And in the middle of like what was supposed to be that, you know, the peak, yeah. you know, the worst tragedy that I've ever experienced in my life hit me right over the head. Yeah. Um, but like you said, you know, you got to learn to ride that wave and you got to know who you are and ultimately like what your mission is. Because the I was listening to uh, Eric Thomas then the other day because they was talking about like the plan and the mission. Like the mission, you got to stay focused on the mission because if you let if you so focused on the plan and the plan don't work out, you're gonna get stuck. Yeah, right? and your but mission. I had a bigger be... mission, right? Yep. Like my plan. Yeah, I didn't expect my dad to die. I didn't expect to have to push the trip off a week or two and have to deal with all the things, you know, cleaning out his house, all that stuff. But the mission stayed the same, and eventually yeah. I did make it out there. And it turned out to be the best decision of my life. And it was very hard in that moment to leave my family, leave everything I knew after my father had just died. Yeah. However, I'm literally here today, right? I'm I'm experiencing everything I have right now, getting to lead young people abroad, you know, like really living out my dream and my passion because I I, I stay true to that mission. Right. Yeah. The mission is key because the plan can look like anything. So you know, I, I have been more inclined and lean more towards Eastern philosophy, specifically like Buddhist practices. And one of them, and I also lived in Asia, I lived in Japan and taught English for a year, lived in Thailand. And so with that, one of the biggest things is like attachment is the root of all suffering, right? Like that's one of the biggest main Buddhist practices. Also one of the most difficult to like digest, like, damn, how do you live a life unattached? Like what? And a lot of times when you think about goals and so essentially it's not about being unattached from the, um, from the mission, right? What you said is so potent because you distinguish the difference between the mission, which is so much greater, like mission, I would also, um, you know, I could swap that out for like vision, right? Vision and mission. And I think, like you said, sometimes we get so caught up on what we think is the best way, the plan, right? No, this is the plan to get here. When actually my sisters and brothers, there may be a million ways to get to that mission and that vision that you aren't even cognizant of, right? you're not even cognizant of, but the universe, God, whatever you believe in can step in and, and take you down a chartered path that you're like, oh my gosh, this is not what I wanted. This is not, this is not what I planned. Right. That's cool. But you have to understand that, like, just because it may not be the route that you thought you were going to take there, you're still on a route to the greater mission and the greater vision. And I think that's, what's important. We get hung up on the control factor. Oh, well, this ain't the way that I saw it. Okay, cool. But like, ride it out for a little bit and see if it doesn't get you another step closer to what the mission and the vision is. That's real. I don't know if in Eastern philosophy, if they have a collection plate, but y'all don't know. <laughs> exactly, that's it. Amen. Let the judge. We appreciate you. You thought you was going to get out of here in 30 minutes, didn't you? No, actually, I knew I wasn't. Y'all did, but I knew. <laughs> Once you get to rapping. But yo, we appreciate you and, and, and you know your story and, and just everything you've accomplished and the community that you built and 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 clearly what you have coming ahead. Like 
it's exciting. I'm excited to follow you. And can you just please drop a few things for our followers if they want to stay in touch with you? How would they do that? How would they follow your, your initiatives, what you're doing? Yeah, definitely. So if they want more information on Nomadness Travel Tribe, you could literally just go to nomadnesstraveltribe.com. Definitely sign up for the newsletter on there. You can even see the tab to join the tribe, which is our Facebook community. Um, come on in. We'd love to have you. And then you can also follow us at Nomadness Tribe on all social media channels. Um, and for me personally, I am at Evie Robbie. So E-V-I-E-R-O-B-B-I-E on all social media platforms as well. Love it. Appreciate you. I just, I, I just want to say thank you. And I think um, my closing words would be I've been I've been doodling on my on my pad this entire um, time we've been on. And I don't I'm not a user. I don't doodle a lot. But yeah. I, what I did end up doodling, I drew out a tree, a tree that has many branches. And I think that in, in, in many ways it, it kind of helps me think through the conversation that we've been having, um, Evita, and, and, and what the seed that you planted unknowingly 10 years ago in September, what would have been September this year, has grown itself out into a tree that has started to grow many branches and many things have come from it. So I just want to tell you, thank you. I want to encourage you to continue doing what you're doing, continue to nourish and water that seed and allow this tree to continue to grow. And all the branches that are stemming from that tree and the, and the reaches that they'll have to move and continue to touch people. Myself, I've seen it grow. I've been a part of it and I've seen the community. I've seen the way people have rallied around each other through what some people might say a simple Facebook group, but things that have brought people together in ways that are inexplicable and, and, and really highlights the phrase that we say sometimes blood, what blood, blood can't be no thicker. It's blood is th nothing thicker than blood, but water can do the same thing. And I've seen these people come together in this, in this kinship group in No Madness Tribes. So I just want to encourage you to continue going. And I'm excited to see how many more branches that this tree will continue to create and the reaches that they will go. So thank you for what you're doing. It's amazing. May it all rain positively on your life and you continue to make impact and bring people together from around the world. And I'm grateful to have been a part of it. And I see those things continue to reach in my life. And I just love to see how my life has grown, expanded because of people, even though we've never had conversations before until today, just know that we are interconnected because of the things that that seed that you planted unknowingly 10 years ago. So thank you for what you're doing. I appreciate that so much. Thank you. I love that that analogy. And what you said reminds me of the hashtag that came up from that Panama accident that stays with us today, which is family by choice. Mm -hmm. Yeah, if you put that hashtag in family by choice, you will see so much history of no madness and what we've been through and how we show up. And I'm excited for the world to start to open up so that I can like love on these people in person again. Um, you know, our our festival comes back in person in Newark, New Jersey next September, September 9th through 11th, 2022. And I just I'm looking so forward to that day to be able to like just see my folks again um, safely, but in person, it means a lot. So thank you both for having me. I appreciate it. Yes, of yes, yes, yes. We'll see you at the festival. Already. Roll through. <laughs> All right, Abita, and we All out. Right. Black with Take Blue care. Passports. Thank y'all for checking out another episode of Black with Blue Passports with Javier Wallace and Dr. Devin Walker. Make sure y'all follow us and check us out on social media at DDCE Global. World Walker Foundation, Black Austin Tours, Afro Latino Travel, and keep this conversation going. Hey, be safe, y'all, and we'll see y'all next time.